Welcome to the Tybee Marine Science Center podcast, an authentic coastal experience. Welcome to the Tybee Island Marine Science Center podcast. This is going to be such an exciting episode. We're having a one-on-one sit down with Executive Director Chantal Odron. And wow, um, as we continue to talk about all of the educational programs that go on here and all of the wonderful things that happen, the team here, and and just all of the things that you guys do, Chantal, we, we really want to take a moment and sort of focus on these conservation programs. And there are several, and there are going to be more episodes deep kind of diving in a little bit um, more deeply into these programs. But why is it important? Let's start there to have conservation programs very specific with with certain species. So it is who we are. I mean, that's, that's why all of us are congregated in this one building and um, kind of fine tuning our craft of education and interpretation for these conservation projects. So really none of us would be here if uh, we weren't those nerdy little kids that kind of played outside and kept rocks in their pockets and, and were the conservation animal loving people that we are. And so the conservation projects are who we are. It is why we went to school for what we did. And it is the crux of our work in addition to this great education mission that we have. So between those two things, that is um, who the Science Center is. It's why we wake up every day. It's um, kind of uh, being able to be impressionable to the students first, but for a reason. So we're teaching them what it is to be a conservationist in this um, coastal Georgia kind of setting. Are you, or let's just backtrack for a second. Are you trying to tell me that you were a, that you had a rock rescue when you were a kid? Like, did you <laughs> rescue rocks? Well, it, w- it was like, wow, look at these minerals <laughs> all compacted next to each other. And that. yeah, no, we are. I think when you, I, we were just at our end of season sea turtle meeting down at DNR and it is a room of turtle folk and nerds that I've told you about, but We all had to say why we got into conservation and every kind of response was very similar to the next. We wanted to help the planet. We wanted to be uh, a role player in in conserving Mother Earth and its animals. Um, We were also those little kids that were curious, so very curious um, that we passed that curiosity on to the next generation. And yeah, we all had rocks and artifacts in our pockets like Definitely um, a fun crew um, to be able to hear what makes their passion remain for conservation. And Mm -hmm. so it's a good reminder, too, as you get older in the field and you run into kind of things that make you more resilient and kind of um, are a roadblock and are troubling. Um, But it was really a very resilient, tough crew talking about why their hearts beat the way they do and our hearts beat the way they do because we want our ripple effect of conservation to be felt for generations. So, um, yeah, the conservations are why projects are why we're here. I love that so many of the, so so many people here are so passionate about all of these projects and they're all they're all so just educated on, on everything. And, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to be able to sit down, 
and eloquently talk about um, what is going on within each one of these projects. And you will hear that in some uh, upcoming episodes as we dive into each one of these. But I mean, it's just fantastic. Like mm -hmm. the amount of work that the team puts in right. to knowing, you know, what what are we doing? How are we doing it? What is our what legacy are we leaving mm -hmm. with this particular species? I mean, all of that's going into it, right? And and when you see a beautiful building like the Science Center, and we've told you about all of our awesome education and the thousands of students we teach a year, whether they're Girl Scouts or school students or Boy Scouts or adults, um, you have to know that other side of us, which is. Um, our heartbeat, the conservation of it. So we used to have behind the scenes tours at our old sweet little science center. And I always felt our conservation projects were kind of unseen. Um, I think people knew that we loved to do those things. And that's why we got into biology or conservation biology or zoology. But as far as a business is concerned, you need to know um, those projects that we're doing in the field every day, in and out, because you can understand us as animals a little bit better. And so we teach the conservation, but for us to be able to go out and do our conservation is really what keeps us going. Yeah. You know, we'll have a rescue every so often, and it's that rescue that kind of reminds us um, what kind of human we are. And so I think it's necessary to feel that connection to the organism that we're protecting. And so for those behind the scenes tours, we would be like, all right, this is our chance in the five to 10 minutes, we have them back here. Hey, not only when you're coming to the science center, does your admission help with the tank systems and the animals, but it also helps support these conservation projects that you aren't seeing. So mm. I think that's the main, main thing that we want to talk about in these next few weeks is not only are we educating thousands of people and island visitors have somewhere to go when they're on Tybee, it's really our conservation projects, the unseen work that we do that uh, we are so passionate about. That's one thing I love too. And we'll have the uh, links in the show notes where you can uh, you know, make sure to say, hey, I want to be a part of that. Um, it's really super easy to do. I, I love that there are just people everywhere, not just in coastal Georgia. Maybe they visited once, you know, maybe they had family uh, here and they came for the holidays or whatever. But those people, they're like, I want to get involved in that. Yeah. And what's great is that they know that they can make a donation, they can support a project, they can they can say, hey, I want to I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And now I know how far reaching. Right. This is what you're doing. Exactly. I think um, everyone wants to know what I can do. What's my take action to get involved? And I want people to know that simply by them coming to visit us, they're doing something. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really great way to feel um, that they're involved in this greater conservation umbrella and, and we need it, you know, citizen science projects are really taking off. And, and I think, um, that's the goal to include and give access to, I love that we still work in the field and that we could be potentially, um, coming back from a sea turtle stranding just moments before and talk to somebody that's visiting the science center. And I have my boots on and my big toolbox full right. of, of, of all the things I needed mm -hmm. a moment ago in the field. So, um, yeah, it's a big part of who we are at the science center and 
as far as our business is concerned, an unseen, really awesome thing that we do for the world. I'm excited that we're going to be able to at least tell the story of, of the unseen stuff. You know, you can hear it right here on the podcast and make sure to share it with somebody as well. Let's kind of give a little overview of the conservation programs. Um, I know obviously there's a lot with, um, sea turtles and a lot of people hear about that, but there's Mm -hmm. so much more too. Yeah. I think sea turtles are definitely going to be the number one thing somebody is going to associate with us because we run our sea turtle project on the Island and people love to see nesting mothers and and baby sea turtles coming out of the nest. So definitely um, that is one of the sexier conservation Mm -hmm. projects that people would know of. For all of our conservation projects, there are four main ones at the Marine Science Center. It's always going to involve an animal, a species of concern. So an animal that needs help from helpful humans. And so We have our sea turtle project that is um, monitoring all of the nesting mothers coming onto our beach. We are marking every sea turtle nest and we are reporting the nesting numbers. We're also daily keeping up with each of those nest sites after we've um, kind of logged them in. Um, We're going to continue to check on them every day and make sure they're safe. And then we're going to be there when they hatch. And so that is probably our most popular conservation project. Another side of our sea turtle work is the sea turtle stranding network. And so all of these projects, we are a part of a cooperative member under the Department of Natural Resources. So in the state, for each of our main animal groups, we have a state biologist that we report to. And so these are really awesome humans that are down in Brunswick with the Department of Natural Resources. So that is where all of this data is going. And we are lucky enough to be one of the cooperative members to be that first level of data for the state. So on the other flip end for our sea turtles, it's the Stranding and Salvage Network. So that is a sea turtle that is either alive or dead, but in some way debilitated. It is an animal that is exhibiting behavior that is not normal. Mm. It's not just a normal nesting mother or a normal um, hatching sea turtle. This is atypical behavior. So some things we could see with that are uh, an adult sea turtle that is stuck in a tide pool on the south end of the island. So it's stranded for some reason. It can't get out of its surroundings. It could potentially be dangerous because it could get sunburned. No doubt. It's hot. Yeah. It could uh, dehydrate. And so that is one case. Another case that we get a lot are hooked sea turtles. Mm. So we have a lot of awesome recreational fishermen, fishermen that help us fill our tanks. Um, and when their lines are in the water, those rigs can pull in a sea turtle. Um, They're just as lazy as the next and want an easy snack. And so that is a way that we can encounter a live stranding. Sometimes it's a dead stranding. And that stranding means um, that that is the most important data set we're going to have. And so if we meet a sea turtle that is dead stranded on the beach, our number one uh, goal is going to be to get a lot of photographic evidence and to wash the animal off, get nice square pictures for the state to be able to determine, like CSIC turtle, the mm-hmm. cause of death of this animal. Because if we can prove that this cause of death was human-related, that is some of the magic that we can use to change policy. So we have at the Science Center 
been a part of two uh, necropsies. Necropsies are an autopsy for an animal. And so this is how we can determine their cause of death by looking at their internal organs, by reading the field signs around it. And so we have had two leatherbacks in the past five years that were completely severed in half by a boat propeller from one of our container Mm. ships. So it's the purpose of getting this data, hard data down in the book so that we can help conserve this animal, maybe change shipping routes Um, But if you can prove that there's enough death caused by one particular human interaction, then you can help change that. That's interesting because I think, you know, that might surprise a lot of people to think that 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 goes on here, you know, that you're able to do those things and that then you think about like really the CSI kind of effect. Yeah. You think about how much you have to prove mm-hmm. and how much evidence you have to have right. and, and show it to someone who can actually make a change. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And also it's in the field. So the environmental factors might not be favorable. Or one time we had one where we got all the data we could because this individual was right smack dab in the muddy marsh. Mm. And so we weighed, <laughs> waited out there. We had a boat and we were waist deep in the mud and still trying to get preliminary data to make this death a little bit more meaningful. Right. So if we can l- teach and learn from this experience, uh, you know, leatherbacks are 2000 pounds. I, um, had a moment of silence before we kind of delved in because it was like, I'm about to dissect a dinosaur. Right. Like how awesome, how much am I going to learn in this moment? What a great respect that you have. So that's the feeling that you get when you're waist deep in the marsh mud and you're like, I'm any picture is going to help this case. Yeah. Any little bit of data. So that is a, a hugely passionate project, you know, a much happier kind of ending when we have a hooked sea turtle. Usually it's like a naughty Kemp's Ridley. Right. And they just are a little bit lazy in their forging. And so we get them hooked a lot. They're always live. It's not going to kill them to be hooked by a small fisherman's rig. Um, And so we just remove that hook from either their beak or their flipper and weigh and measure them, tag them. So now we know another individual in the population and then release them. Those are the sweet days because no it's like in 30 minutes flat, you've made a difference Rescue. in the population. Rescue <laughs> rangers. It's a really big thing. I love that. And it's it's what makes our heartbeat. It's our soul. Um, and it's also our favorite thing to share it with the public. No so doubt. It's why we are so very much education and conservation. Mm-hmm. So to be able to share these programs is really going to be fun. That's fantastic. Um, I know there's uh, several others as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the bird rescue. Yeah. I, that's so interesting. And again, I think a lot of people would be a little shocked to think, oh, I can't, I didn't realize they did anything with birds. We, over can, at the Science we can triage some birds. And so um, we are an ambulatory service, if you will, for injured birds on Tybee Island. So a great service for the city. And because they are incredible um, landlords to us in our beautiful new home, it's the least we can do by helping get some of these injured birds off the beach. So even in the dead middle of the pandemic, we were helping remove some of these injured birds um, 
off of the coastline. So they, this is our seabird shorebird rescue. So these are ocean going birds, Mm. um, of a lot of variation. Like two days ago, we had a cormorant. Cormorants are awesome. Their adaptations are beautiful for our staff who are animal lovers. Any moment to see a wild animal um, is such a great learning experience. And so we had a cormorant in with his really dense, thick bones to help him dive. He has really oily feathers so that he doesn't get too waterlogged and his eyes are aquamarine. So to be able to share that with my staff is, is the reason they're here. It is, you know, they need that experience to continue on in their conservation careers. And so we give them the birds too, you know, usually it's, it's a, a dolphin or a sea turtle or a terrapin, but we, um, help as much as we can with the birds. Birds are hard. They're very stressful animals. Mm-hmm. You know, we're used to reptiles here right, right. and our turtles and no one is more resilient than like a diamondback terrapin mother or a sea turtle mother. I mean, they're creatures of habit and they aren't emotional mm-hmm. and um, birds are. <laughs> birds are chaotic, I feel like. They're so it's so like stressful. you got all that going on. Yeah. And so it can be one that yeah. really tugs at our heartstrings because when a bird gets very stressed out, um, it will can die from that stress. Right, right. And of course, um, anytime we're coming across a bird that we're rescuing, the call has come in that it is exhibiting atypical behavior, right? So it's a comorant sitting on the beach like this weekend. Surely not normal. They should be in the water or drying on a pier piling mm. like you'll see as mm-hmm. you drive out to Tybee. Um but definitely not just hanging out and laying on the beach like we do. So um, determining what that causes. Sometimes it's a broken wing. Sometimes it's a pelican that has emphysema. That's a thing that they can get when they run into one of these shrimping boats. Mm. And so you'll see behind all of our shrimp trawlers, a lot of birds that are really getting an easy meal, but sometimes that boat can turn and they can get hit. And that um, kind of, blunt force trauma can pierce their lungs Mm. and um, it feels like on their chest crackling cellophane. And so these are some cases that we see with birds, a lot of broken wings. Um, It's not a good prognosis if you have a compound fracture, if that bone is coming out of the wing, but um, it's our goal to stabilize them, bring them inside out of the elements um, and get them to a vet. Vets and biologists make really best friends because we have the same passion and different tools that we use and skills. And so that's where they go to get saved. We're the passionate ones to get them out of the field. And so it's a good day whenever you get a case like we had an owl a few years ago that was hit by a car on the causeway. And um, we took them to Dr. Mailer at Oatland Island and Dr. Mailer is an awesome vet, um, has seen so many different cases and always knows what to do. And and so she just um, hung out with this guy for two days, rehydrated him, gave him some antibiotics. And she said he basically just got his bell rung (laughs) and gave him that moment to rest and the fluids to stay hydrated and the food to sustain him. 
And, you know, a week later, he was back in nature doing what he does. And so there's a huge demand I've found in our area for bird rehabbing. There aren't a lot of resources. So even the Comorant we ran into this weekend in rescue, we had to drive to Charleston. Oh, wow. And they have passionate staff that met us halfway. But it tells you how kind of in need we are. Um, The bird flu just passed. And so we've kind of been on and off being able to accept animals. Uh, A lot of vets aren't accepting bird residents or bird patients rather. So yeah, it, it, it's a harder one. Um, turtles are easy when it comes right. when now you think about birds, but yeah, we're happy to be able to help in any way we can. Um, the funniest case we get for birds is the pigeon. Oh yeah. Not a very kind of like, you know, glorious one to rescue, No doubt. especially they're invasive. Yeah. Um, but when we lived on the south end of the island, there were so many that um, nested above the water underneath the pier and pavilion. Oh. And so those big concrete pier pilings had littered um, nests underneath them. And so at high tide, when the water comes crashing up underneath there, those guys can kind of mm. jump out, especially when they're fledglings and jumping the nest. So we've got a lot of wet and soggy pigeons on the south end of the island when right. we lived down there. And our <laughs> protocol was to dry them on a heating pad and then to release them. So that's one of the not as glorious ones. I mean, I think still very bird nice rescue, and sweet. Bird, <laughs> yeah. Bird rescue was very humbling for me when I first I started bet. to do it because I, I had my turtle game down but birds are much different. Mm -hmm. And so I remember I took out my container and birds move. So you get the rescue call. A turtle's not going to really move, but a bird's like now 20 yards, 50 yards, a mile away from (laughs) where you last saw him. And I came out with my big um, container, my bird cage to bring him back to the science center. And he was a pelican and it was after Hurricane Irma. I think it ended up just being a tropical storm, but he was just exhausted mm. and here comes helpful human to the rescue and he didn't want my help. He said no. He And he just flat out told me. And so it was a humbling experience because <laughs> um, he was kind of like standing on the jetties and like very wobbly and looked very exhausted because he had just flown in a tropical storm. Mm. And here I am really thinking I'm helping the scenario And so I pick up my towel of which I'm going to wrangle him in. Mm -hmm. um, And I realize I have the most brightly lit beach towel ever. And so this is like a really aggressive towel to then be rescuing him (laughs) with. It was striped and lots of um, different shapes and sizes of different colors. And so I come towards him and they have a wingspan. That's incredible. They stand four feet tall. And so I'm only a little over five feet. So this pelican is not much smaller than I. Right. And then he opens up his full wingspan Ooh. and does some like gawking at me, like get away. Yes. But I'm helpful human. Like, no, right? I'm here so I'm like, to help. here, I'm here to help you. Yes. Just stop fighting it. Yeah. Which I've learned. That was my first rescue. I've learned better now. Yeah. And so I come at him and he smacks his beak at me a couple times. And then chases me down the beach. And so it was probably the most unprofessional (laughs) day of my life, getting chased by a pelican down the beach at a mere 25. But we all all learned somehow. And so 
we've gotten all the tools and the awesomeness to make that moment of rescue a little bit more glorified, sure, a little sure. um, more refined <laughs> than getting in the end chased by the animal you were trying to right. rescue. So <laughs> I, yeah, we've come a long way. I hope you have video of that. I want... <laughs> I really want to see it, like maybe in a right. slow-mo. I don't know. Yeah, Just yeah. You and the whole and- time he was still smacking his beak, and I was like, this is embarrassing. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Oh, my God. I'm just trying to help. I'm here to help. Um, okay, what did we leave out? We uh, the, the Marine Mammal Stranding Network. Did we talk about that? No. So Marine Mammal Stranding, same as the sea turtle, I love to say, like CSI dolphin. Right. So we get on our beaches a majority of the time our bottlenose dolphin that is the marine mammal that we will see stranded dead on our beach uh, the most um but i have had a pygmy sperm whale which was very exciting and so what's the size of that in comparison yeah so dolphin are about 12 feet long and the pygmy sperm whale is not as large as the sperm whale which would be akin to like a uh, what do you call them? Um, humpback whale, so much larger whale, the sperm whale. Pygmy sperm whales are much smaller, just a bit longer than our dolphin. So okay. around 15 feet in length, this animal um, is going to have some really cool adaptations um, for a marine mammal. They almost have false gill slits because they're so small, they look like a shark. And their head is even pointed in a different way than other marine mammals. And so he looks very shark-like, the pygmy sperm whale. And with his teeth, he's a toothed whale, not a baleen whale. He eats a lot of squid. And so a cool defense tactic that they have is to ink at their predators with the ink that they've consumed from the squid. And so that's another awesome teaching moment. But yeah, those are some things that we'll see. Um, For dolphin, we're definitely going to be looking for any kind of paired injuries. So there's a an abrasion on one side of the tail and it's paired to the other side of the tail. And so that's usually indicative of rope being Mm. around this animal. Right. And a big thing that we have to look out for for a bottlenose dolphin are getting entangled in crab pots. And so if there is a case where we can prove that, that's going to be a good case for the state to be able to help with their data. And so, yeah, that's uh, the crab pot is one we're looking for with the bottlenose dolphin. For the pygmy sperm whale, it was an older individual. And so um, sometimes it's a natural cause of death, but an extraordinary moment for someone like us to see this animal in the field. Yeah, of course. And, like that. and we'll take teeth samples from these animals because for the pygmy sperm whale and the dolphin, they have rings on their teeth, just like a tree. And so you can age this animal that way. The first dolphin necropsy that I did, um, that dolphin was a really old man. His oh, wow. teeth were almost ground down to the root. Um, he had lived a long life. And so there's, you know, kind of beautiful cases like that, that you've seen an animal contribute to their population for many years. Mm. Um, or there's, you know, a sad case. We have a lot of infants infanticide in the dolphin population here in coastal Georgia. And that's when um, an individual, usually a male, kills the infant of a female dolphin. And it's because they want the attention back. 
Wow. You know, and it's mm. their time to mate and reproduce and pass on their genes. And so you'll see a lot of the auntie dolphins kind of safeguarding their babes and helping a mother protect that animal because uh, to remove that stimulation that the mother is getting from the calf means that the male can now come in and mate. Wow. And so we had a case a few years ago where a mother pushed her dead calf for a good 12 hours on the south end of the island. Um, mm. She kept pushing it up with her bottle nose to bring it up for a, a breath of air. Aww. And so um, lots of different cases. Usually um, the individual is already dead. That was kind of uh, the female wasn't stranded. She wasn't in any bad spot. It was just that you could see that she was mourning an animal that she brought into this life. You right. know, they have um, very close parental care. Yes. Marine mammals. They're the most similar to us. Their brain and their hormones that they communicate with are so similar to ours. And so that it feels a little bit uh, more familiar, sure. the pain that they feel. Um, but she puts so much energy into that gestation and then caring for that animal for the next year to teach it how to eat and and to still give it nourishment, right? right. So they're drinking milk from that mother still. So lots of var variation and, and variables in what cases we see. But yeah, the dolphins um, are exciting. You know, they're massive bodies. Um, to dissect that animal, you get to see how muscular it is. You can understand how it can swim along with the container ships. And by one flick of their fluke, uh, they can change direction. Yeah. So it's incredible. It makes you feel like a big wimp. Right. And, you know, like we're just like kind of like <laughs> these wimpy, um, very big brained evolved right. animals right. because to see them is, is beauty um, in that way. And to also with honor kind of tell their story a bit further from some of these strandings, this is how we have gotten some of our artifacts at the Marine Science Center. So I told you about two of those um, leatherback sea turtles mm -hmm. that we did necropsies for. Uh, we saved the skull and the flipper from that individual wow. so that you continue that story for that animal. Um, their death doesn't need to be the end of it because sure. they were an awesome member of that population. So. Yeah, marine mammal stranding is a fun one. We'll even send um, teams down. Allie Williford uh, came from the Dolphin Lab at Savannah State. And so we sent her down for a mass stranding a couple years ago of pilot whales. And so this is a very social animal, marine mammals. And so a lot of times if an alpha is sick, the rest of the population will kind of follow that alpha in. So dolphin, it is definitely not normal if a dolphin is on shore, right? right? They're a pelagic animal. And so there's something wrong with that animal. And so the best thing to do is if you can identify who is, is down in that population, who is ill, you can humanely euthanize that animal to not kind of affect the rest the of the rest, population right, and the right. work new alpha out. So it's a really interesting, um, moment to see a different kind of animal that's so similar to us. Yeah. How, how do you guys uh, deal with the size of an animal like that uh, and being able to do any sort of like, you know, uh, uh, recovery or rescue process mm -hmm. or learning process? Even sure. Do you move them? How does that go? Yeah. I mean, so 
it's a hilarious moment that when there's an animal on the beach, all the big, tough policemen and big, tough firemen kind of step aside. And here comes me in my boots <laughs> with my, my little tool kit. At just over and five I'm going to know what yeah. to do. Right. <laughs> and that I'm their first word. Yes. And my first word is from the state. Yeah. And so um, it's teamwork as it always is on Tybee. And so for many years, Danny Carpenter with de the Department of Public Works have helped us with these cases. And now it's Brent Levy. And so it's our DPW team. Um, so a team of scientists and a team of big power tools that wow. make it happen. Yeah. And so if Brent finds the animal first or gets the call before me, then he'll call me and we'll decide our game plan. Uh, we just had a sturgeon on the beach the other day. Not an, an animal that we needed to get any data from, but a big animal that's dead on the beach, right. on a public beach that yeah. people like to have a nice kind of not stinky right. walk. <laughs> um, and so we get together and we make our game plan. And that game plan is sometimes to bring that animal to the science center if it's small enough, because to do that necropsy on site was a little easier. Um, but most cases go back to DPW where we have a bit of privacy and so we're going to be doing those necropsies off the beach. Right. So that's a great question because we're definitely not trying to get all of this data in front of everybody. It can be gruesome at times. Sure. We're the only weirdos that love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we'll bring them back to DPW and then they can use the backhoe to bury that animal humanely afterwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely... Um, teamwork that makes that happen and a lot of buckets we have to stand on a lot of buckets or the tailgate of their trucks I'm sure. to even get some of these animals in our field of view for the pictures mm -hmm. that are so important to this process no doubt um and then did we talk about the diamondback terrapin no and that one's near and dear to my heart and it's its own it's its own little, little island they're they're fancy um little turtles that get their same recognition as a sea turtle. So you're always going to learn about sea turtles. We're always preaching about loggerheads here. Out of the seven worldwide species of sea turtles, five come to our Georgia waters. So we are sea turtle folk. Right. You know it. But in my heart, I am a diamondback terrapin gal. And that is because um, this animal I've been researching for the past decade I think I'm going on 12 years with a diamondback terrapin. And so what we do at the Marine Science Center is that we rescue any diamondback terrapin that might be uh, debilitated, injured, uh, disoriented on the island of Tybee. And so that is usually at a resident's home. They find a diamondback terrapin in their swimming pool. Right. These are the only species of turtle that live in the salt marsh. They are also a conservation concern because their numbers have diminished incredibly. And so this is an animal that is littering, you know, the backyards of all of our local residents. We abut the marsh. And so we abut their home, right. our neighbors. Right. And so this is a species we see often. Uh, just like the sea turtles. And so they might be in somebody's swimming pool. They might be in their drain and looking for some shelter. Um, but they're living along the marsh border when they're very young. So every uh, spring, 
we don't really care about the groundhog. It's the terrapin. Right. Because we know spring has sprung when we start getting a lot of rescue calls for the terrapin. No doubt. And it's because every fall when they're born, in the end of summer, they go underneath the ground and they're going to hibernate. When it's a reptile, it's called brumation. And so when they brumate underneath that mud, the subs, the surface of kind of the marsh border, they go down there and the moment that that soil starts to warm up in the spring, they know it's time to come out. Right. And so when that happens, they can sometimes get disoriented just like our sea turtles and not go into the marsh. Instead, they're going into somebody's backyard. So that is a case that we can see for rescue at the Science Center. And then why they're so passionate for me is the research that we do with our diamondback terrapin. So you have seen as you have come out to Tybee, the turtle crossing yes, signs. Yes. You have heard about Ruby and Pearl who mm. live at the Science Center. So the diamondback terrapins on the causeway is a huge research project for us. And what we're finding, we started this research in uh, 2005 with Jordan Gray. Jordan is an awesome conservationist and friend of mine here um, in Georgia. He works for Turtle Survival Alliance now, and he had been documenting all of the occurrences of dead terrapin on the causeway. So the mortality of these terrapin on the causeway. We find during their nesting season in May and June that when they're crawling to high ground to nest, that they're also getting hit by cars. So we used to have about... 100 occurrences and that has only increased with the traffic coming out mm. to the island and the busy causeway but also because we're on a trend of uh, sea level rise and so at a high tide when that mother is looking to get pushed up to a hammock or pushed up to dry land she's getting pushed up to the road right and her chances of survival are quite slim at that point and so this year, we had 280 uh, occurrences of uh, terrapin mortality. Mm. And usually it's a female and she's nesting. So she's gravid. She has six to seven eggs inside of her or seven to 11 eggs inside of her body, depending on what type of the season it is. Earlier in the season, she has about seven. As the season goes on, it's 11. And so for those diamondback terrapin, what we're doing is documenting their death to make that death mean something. We can take that data and show on the map of the causeway all of the hot spots. Right. Where are we seeing them cross? And now we're starting to answer questions like, who are they? So we have been for Georgia Southern uh, in UGA, taking samples of their bones, so parts of their toes or their tail to get bone for their DNA. So we can determine, are these terrapin all related to one another? Are they all coming from different areas? Mm. Why are we seeing more numbers? So we have been very well telling the story for the last 10 years of who is out there, right? And and where they are. We have a big hot spot in front of Pulaski that all the locals will know. I was going to ask you about the hot spot. We spots. have a huge hot spot in front of Lazaretto Creek boat mm -hmm. ramp that all the locals know. Yes. I found that because I was clearing them so diligently all those years and getting their GPS waypoint that not everyone knew how many we were actually getting. And this year with my new position and just the busyness and trying to find someone to replace me in that kind of data collection, mm -hmm. 
more bodies were out this year wow. and we got so many calls. And so it was kind of a good moment because you have to see it to get angry. And when you're seeing 200 some bodies on the causeway, something needs to happen. No doubt. And so it's a great moment for a researcher when somebody actually wants to look at your nerdy data. Usually we do that for our fun and giggles. Um, and to tell the story and for our passion and for our heart, but DOT wants to see it. Nice. And so for the last few years, they've been helping collaborate with us for some signage. So our um, sea turtle biologist for the state, Mark Dodd, um, worked out a great deal with DOT where on each end of our causeway, we have a huge digital sign that at high tide, when the occurrences are at their highest, we say to slow down, leave room between you and the car in front of you so that you can see this animal in the road. These women are tough, the females that we're coming across. I've been out there going to rescue one and it get hit right in front of me. Mm. It's also very dangerous to be out there. So we never, ever ask the public to stop and help because this road is dangerous for humans. Yeah. So first we need to protect ourselves before we protect anything else. And so um, for many years, it was just Jordan and I, because it's all that we could put the risk on, sure. you know, and, and we had done it for so long. We knew how to be ninjas on the causeway and kind of very quickly get a GPS waypoint, a picture and that body off of the uh, causeway. Right. So. I'm opening it up to the next layer of staff and um, it's a scary moment because it's really necessary data. We just had a researcher here from UGA a couple weeks ago and she said we had the most complete data set for Terrapin mortality wow. on a causeway in the entire United States. That's a huge deal. We're so proud. That's it amazing. May, and it, it, it's a story to tell. Yes. And so what her research is going to do and that she is bringing us into the fold of is finally mitigation. Mm. So in the next year, we are replacing, the DOT is replacing our bridges on our causeway. So we are taking that moment to talk about the terrapins. And so we will have a couple of terrapin nesting boxes as well as mitigation, some sort of a wildlife barrier to, to kind of omit the problem from the jump. And so that researcher at UGA, Kim, she is um, awesome, and her PhD was solely on wildlife barriers. So it is her specialty. So we are so, so honored that our data is going to be used by her, that she's including us, that we can do some test trials maybe with Ruby and Pearl right. to see what barrier is going to be best to try to reduce those numbers. Yeah, wow. I yeah. mean, really, and, and the story of all of these projects, and I know we're going to dive even deeper in, in some other episodes, the story is like this helps move the needle. Yeah. At the, at the end mm -hmm. of the day, mm -hmm. it moves the needle mm -hmm. on action by having so much concentration right. within each of these projects. Mm -hmm. And we're one of 14 barrier islands. So there's 14 other people like us on these islands making a difference. And so it's my favorite when we have our cooperative meetings and these dorks all get together right. and, <laughs> and talk about our season. And the Terrapin people are like, we're a little bit crazy because we're dodging traffic. Um, whereas, you know, the uninhabited barrier islands and the sea turtle girls have shotguns to help kill wild boar. You know, mm. the variability 
on our coastline is so awesome, but the common thread is the human that wants to help. Absolutely. And the Science Center is a building full of these humans. And and they came to us because they are young in their career. They're just out of school. They're finishing school. And it is my job to give them access to that. And so you're not only going to learn to teach when you're a staff member at the Science Center, but I'm also going to give you a ton of experience in your field so that you can take that on and do what you want with it in the future. But yeah, it's a it, great jumping off point. It really takes a village. Yeah. Um, and to know that the village is constantly growing, mm-hmm. constantly learning, mm-hmm. you know, constantly making a difference. Yeah. Um, and then to know that like it's we can be helpful humans you know, you guys are being helpful humans. Like it's just all of us trying to be helpful. A network as it should be, right? Like um, mycelium, like mushrooms that we're all connected. We're a community. And and so even when you're coming to the science center, like we used to say on the behind the scenes tours in five minutes, not 30 minutes, we would be able to say, look what else you're helping. It's not just coming and looking at the animals, Yeah, you know, and and we tell them the catch and release thing that we do. And it's also different than what I think people are used to seeing in the past, which is a more entertainment facility yeah. designated to just entertain you for the little bit that you're there and then to move on. And we're trying to do it a bit um, with more intention and mindfulness. And so um, we hope that, you know, you get the passion bug when you're here and you want to keep going on and helping with maybe a, a citizen science project, but to really know that even you coming through the front doors was a take action in the right direction. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, that's a really big deal. Well, awesome. I'm excited because we're going to dive even more into all of these programs. And uh, and by the end of it, pretty sure we need to come up with like a new t-shirt, um, like maybe Tybee, where every spring the Terrapin sees their shadow. <laughs> right? I'm telling you. Instead of the groundhog, we can... Yeah, punk's a tiny pill. It's not. It's new the Terrapin. T-shirt or bumper stickers we can do. I they're don't know. never wrong every year. Spring <laughs> is sprung when they're we're filled and rescue. Yeah, we, we can get we can get a new we can get TV stations down here for that. Exactly. Like. We all have. I just want to be Bill Murray. If right. That's a possibility. Yes, in you the should whole be. Equation. You should be. Absolutely. All right. This is going to be fun as getting uh, deeper into these things. And of course, you know, click on the show notes and find out how you, too, can be a helpful human. From the beach to the marsh, from the ocean to the rivers and creeks, from the islands to the mainland to the classroom, this is your authentic coastal experience with Tybee Marine Science Center. We provide year-round programs for visitors, residents, and learners of all ages. You'll find us on Tybee Island at North Beach, beachside of Fort Screven. Join us in developing caring and responsible protection of coastal Georgia's natural resources. You can help us today by becoming a member. Your membership support helps fund conservation programs and assist with program fees for low-income groups. Visit TybeeMarineScience.org to learn more about becoming a member. Our volunteer opportunities are there and all of the cool merch available in our discovery shop. Thank you for sharing this episode with another curious learner. Grab your membership at TybeeMarineScience.org and follow us on social. Together through education and conservation, we can make a difference.